here. Glad you're with us, joining us online. Thanks for joining us. We hope today is a blessing to you. As Pastor Mel said, we're going to continue the series we started calling, called Following the Master. And this could be a several week series. We're not sure exactly how long it's going to go. But today we're going to do part two of Discovering the Master. If you were here this past Sunday, a week ago, we started this series by just taking a peek, a glance at our Lord, at our Lord Jesus. And today we're going to continue that series called Discovering the Master. Did you ever have to ask some really tough questions? Ever have to ask some really hard questions such as these? Is the earth really around? I mean, really? Is the earth really around? I mean, when I go to the beach and I look at the horizon, it looks flat to me. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> Did we actually land on the moon? I mean, if anyone was going to fake a moon landing, it would have been the people in 1969. That was a crazy year. So is 2020. We would fake it today, too. But did we actually land on the moon? I mean, come on. I mean, when you look at the pictures, the flag's not moving. There's no breeze. How about the light? It looks a little artificial. That's all I'm saying. Did we actually land on the moon? Uh, how about this? Is Elvis Presley really dead? I mean... All I'm saying is there's a lot of Elvis impersonators out there, and it wouldn't be that hard to blend in, right? He can make his way around the country and just go to those. Was Was that (laughs) Elvis? Actually, Elvis would be uh, 85 years old today. Another reason maybe he's not dead, maybe he's just chilling at some old person's home and singing blue suede shoes at the piano. And I mean, do, do you know? Do you really know if Elvis is dead? Are we really the only planet with inhabitants? I mean, really? Have you ever been to the other seven or eight planets? You ever looked around at all the nooks and crannies just to make sure there's not a Panera Bread or a Target or a Best Buy? Have you ever looked at all the planets? Then how do you know? How do you know? How about this one? Is there really no Bigfoot, no Loch Ness Monster? I mean, there's a lot of hairy things in the woods. It wouldn't be that hard to find another big one. Or how about the Loch Ness Monster, right? Something's peeking out of the water. People keep seeing things. I mean, do you really know those things don't exist? I'm joking. I hope you know I'm joking. I'm not a conspiracy theorist. There are conspiracy theorists out there who ask those tough questions. They want to know the truth, and they dig at it. And Although I think those questions are silly, and they're supposed to be silly. I do appreciate one thing about conspiracy theorists. I do. They ask questions. They ask questions. They have to ask tough questions. They don't just accept the reality of what is given to them. They ask questions. And we're going to ask some questions today as a part of our lesson today. We're going to ask some tough questions. And those answers are going to come to us from the Word of God, thankfully, as we look at Discovering the Master Part 2. Now, I'm going to do something here. I'm going to show you a clip, and it's a clip I've referenced already. It's only going to be on this screen. So if you're not in a good chair to see this screen, then you should move because it's only going to be on this screen But we're going to actually show a clip from a Twilight Zone episode called Five Characters in Search of an Exit. And I hope this works. Sometimes with technology it won't. But we're going to see if we can make this work. And there's a point to this. Not just just to entertain you. Let's see if we can get this to work. Okay. Five Characters in Search of an Exit. Not only of sight and sound, but of light. 
a journey into a wondrous land whose boundaries are that of imagination. That's the signpost up ahead. Your next stop, the Twilight Zone. Where are we? What are we? Who are we? Who are we? None of us knows, Major. We don't know who we are. We don't know where we are. Each of us woke up one moment. Here we were in the darkness. How could that happen? That's the question we asked ourselves. The question with no answer, Major. Nameless things with no memory. No knowledge of what went before. No understanding of what is now. No knowledge of what will be. <laughs> Help us. 
Okay, now I'm glad it didn't spoil it for you because that's actually a pretty good episode. If you have a chance, maybe we even play it during our luncheon, if you're good. If you pay attention during the lesson, that's what I do with my children. There'll be a little reward. Actually, it has, it has a pretty good ending. I need to go back to my screen here. Uh, it has a pretty good ending. It's They're not in hell. <laughs> I will say that. But um, they're asking questions, and that's kind of the point of where I want to go here today is they're asking questions. And I think we need to do that. I think we all need to do that. We, we all arrived here one day kind of like that. We, yeah, we were, we were born, and we came as babies and infants, and we grew up, in, and this is our reality. And most of us have just accepted that reality going, well, I'm here. I'm just going to function like everybody else does. And nobody asks questions. Nobody wonders where, where we're going. Why are we here? What's our purpose? What's our existence? And if you ask those questions, even though you can get to a bad place by answering them improperly, you can also get to the right answers by searching the one who knows. And that's kind of the point of today is we discover the master. If you have your Bibles, go to John chapter 1. We were there last week. We're going to continue looking at a passage here from John 1, verses 9 to 13. John 1, 9 to 13. We looked at verses 1 to 5 last week. Listen to what John says. He says, The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In the five characters in search of an exit, we're going to ask some tough questions today. We have five questions we want to ask, five questions we want answers to, and they're tough. But the Word of God has the answers to these questions, and I'm thankful for that, that we're not going to be left hanging, okay? No cliffhangers today. We're going to answer the questions. And our goal is to discover the Master, but in doing so, in discovering the master, we also discover a lot about ourselves. That's the point of discovering the master. You also learn a lot about who you are and why you're here. So question one that we're going to ask, the hardest question today is, how did we get here and why are we here? And we answered this a little bit last week, so I'm not going to go over this too much today. But question number one is, how did we get here? And why are we here? You heard stories growing up saying maybe a stork brought you, right? Uh, you'd learned that something had to happen for you to exist. I'm not going to go into that as well. But how are we here and why are we here? And you know the Word of God answers these questions. And I'm telling you guys, we've said this before, but scholars want to know these answers. They're trying to figure out these answers right now. They're getting into labs or looking at data, and they're trying to figure out why are we here and how did we get here. Well, one of the passages we looked at last week answers the question, how did we get here? If you have your Bibles open and you're in John, go to verses 1 to 4 of John chapter 1. And listen to what John says. He says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. John answers the question, how did we get here? We were created. We were created by the Word. As we talked about last week, that Word is Jesus, the Son of God, the Lord, the Messiah. He created us. And John tells us, point blank, as blunt as he can, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. So nothing good that exists in this earth came about without Jesus Christ. 
So that answers the question, that really hard, tough question, the foundation that everyone wants to know. How did we get here? If you believe the word of God, we found out. Jesus Christ created us. He put us on this planet. He created this planet. And we're here because he, he said so. But why are we here? Another passage I've referenced before from Colossians chapter 1 says this, Colossians 1, 15 to 17, it's on the screen. He, Jesus, once again, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He states, once again, Paul this time is stating that all things were created through Jesus. He reiterates what John says. This isn't John's opinion. This is fact from the word of God. Jesus created us. I mean, notice the language. All things, whether visible and invisible. I mean, there are species of animals and plants and things that living in the sea and the water that we've never seen. And they were created by the Lord. Things in space we've never taken a look at that were created by the Lord. But everything visible also created by the Lord, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things that have power and might and supremacy were created by the one true supreme being. And notice what Paul says. They were created through him and for him. Two of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. We were created for Jesus. Have you thought about that recently? That's why you're here. That's why you exist. That's why you have a heartbeat. That's why you have oxygen, working lungs, a working brain. For Jesus. Now, if you don't believe the word of God, then that's your problem. But if you do believe the word of God and you accept that as truth, that has to change the way you live. has to. Because your very purpose, your very creation is for Jesus. And don't mix that up. Jesus doesn't exist for us. We exist for him. He was the creator and he's the reason all things were created. And to disagree with this is to disagree with God because this is his word. It's not my opinion. This is actually verbatim in scripture. All things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. So that foundation is important for us today because like we started this with, if we don't ask those questions, we just assume that everything is random. There is no purpose. We're just organisms living upon a planet that somehow came to be and we all are just functioning according to whatever everyone else thinks is proper. And there's no purpose. It's directionless. It's aimless. It's useless. But if you listen to scripture, it says, no, you were created for a purpose, a very unique and powerful purpose. So that's question one, a really important question. How did we get here and why are we here? As we mentioned last week, the word Jesus came into the world. And the question we now want to ask is, why did he come into the world? Why did Jesus come to the world? I mean, if he created the world and wanted that to have a purpose, why not just let it happen? Whatever happens, happens. Why did Jesus come to this world? Because if you know anything about the Lord Jesus, he didn't start here. Okay? He started in heaven. Actually, there was no beginning for Jesus. He was the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. There was no beginning to Jesus. Everything else that we know has a beginning, but not the Lord. So why did he come to the world? Why? What's the point? Well, I have 
seven things that I find in Scripture, things, reasons that Jesus came to the world. And number one is, I think, answers all the other ones, is to do the will of his Father. Jesus came to do the will of his Father or to glorify the name of God. That is the greatest purpose that exists, to do the will of God and to glorify the name of God. And you have to imagine that the highest being, Jesus Christ, wants the highest purpose. And that is his highest purpose, to glorify the name of God. Now, there's a lot of good purposes on the world, right? Being a parent is a good purpose. Being a nurse and a doctor, that seems pretty important right now. Police officers, I mean, the list can go on and on of things that are important purposes on the earth. But there is no greater purpose that exists except to glorify the name of God and to accomplish his will. Jesus came to this earth to do that primarily. He came to this earth because God wanted him to. He came to this earth because God had a dilemma. And God wanted a solution to that dilemma. And Jesus said, I will. I'll do it, God. I will do it, my Father. I will obey your will. I will glorify your name upon the earth that you created. And that, that's the big one. That's why Jesus came to this world. And everything else, all the other six, fall underneath this one thing. He came to do the Father's will. But there's a second reason that really brings us into this story here. Uh, number two reason that Jesus came into the world was to save his people from their sins. He came to save us from our sins by paying our debt and then defeating death for us. We said number one was the greatest purpose imaginable. Number two is the greatest and ultimate gift of love. Jesus came to give the ultimate gift of love. Because there's no other way, better way to live your life than to give yourself away for love. Did you know that? I've been trying to teach that to my children lately that we all should be guided every single day by the, the ambition to love. And the Lord Jesus came to this earth to do that, to give his life away, to save his people from their sins, to pay their debt, which we're going to pause and look at here in a little bit, and then conquer death for them. Because death was hanging over our heads, death was taunting us, death was the end for all of us. And Jesus said, not any longer. Not if I defeat it for them. Not if I pay their debt, and then three days later, I rise from the grave. They don't have to die. They don't have to remain dead. They don't have to go to hell. Not if I pay their debt. So the second reason the light that Jesus came into this world was to save us. To save us. And John 3.17 says that makes it very clear. He came to save us and not condemn us. We were worthy of condemnation. But Jesus was guided by love. The greatest ambition you can have. Number three reason Jesus came into the world was to guide and shepherd us into the truth and away from error. He came to shepherd us. It says in the gospel that Jesus looked upon us like sheep without a shepherd. I don't know if you have any experience with sheep, but I've heard they're pretty dumb animals. Uh, they do dumb things. They will walk off cliffs. They will go wherever their wolf is. They just are dumb. They don't follow where they're supposed to go. And Jesus looked upon us like we were sheep, sheep without a shepherd. And it says he had compassion upon us. And he wanted to shepherd us and to guide us into truth and away from the bad things, away from the things that were hurting us. So he came to this earth not just to die, because he lived an entire, a short, but an entire life up to that point. And that entire process was teaching us and guiding us away from error and into truth. 
this pandemic we're living in right now has a lot of people who think they're right, right? A lot of people are touting opinions and facts, and it seems like everyone is right. Everyone has an opinion, but everyone is right. And it seems like there's a lot of guessing going on right now. And that's the problem. If we don't have someone guiding us into truth, we guess. We use our own perspective, our own knowledge. We connect the dots in our own mind, and we go, that is truth. That must be truth. It makes sense to me. I mean, the conspiracy theorists, they actually question those things going, I don't know. I don't know if those things actually happened the way they said they did. It makes sense to me. Maybe the earth is flat. But if someone doesn't guide us and show us the way to go, we will guess wrong. And imagine the consequences of living your life wrongly. Wrong direction. The wrong way. And you find out on the last day it all was meaningless because you went the wrong way. You lived for the wrong things. You were quite convinced you were right. But you find out from God you were wrong. And now it's over. Jesus says, I don't want them to go wrong. I don't want them to live wrong any longer. I'm going to guide them. I'm going to teach them so they know the way to go. And I'm going to go there first. I'm going to go ahead of them so they know where to go. And they're also finding great comfort from that. That's reason number three. Reason number four is to fulfill every prophecy about him in Scripture. Because if you read the Old Testament, and I really encourage you to do so, you will find mention of the Christ and the Messiah all over it. Prophet after prophet are telling the entire world that the Messiah, the Christ, is coming, and this is how he's going to look. This is what he's going to do. And so when Jesus came to this earth, he could have lived for a lot of different things. But Jesus lived according to the prophecies about him in Scripture. If you read a lot of the New Testament in the Gospels, it says, and he did this to fulfill what was said about him in Isaiah and Jeremiah. And he fulfilled every ounce of the prophecy about the Christ and the Messiah. And you're going, well, why? Why is that important? Because it validates the fact that he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. He is the Lamb of God. Imagine anybody can come down and say this and say, listen, I'm the Christ, follow me. I'm the Messiah, follow me. And people have. And there's been cults after cults after cults where the head guy says, I'm the Messiah, I'm the Christ. But they don't line up with the scripture about what the Christ would do, what the Messiah would say, how he would live. See, Christianity is not blind faith. It's not. Jesus lived like who the scriptures said the Christ would live like. Just like they said the Messiah would be like, Jesus lived and acted and spoke that exact way. So we can go, there he is. He is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And there's no denying it. How would anyone know that? How would anyone be able to do what he did? Unless he is the Christ and the Lamb of God. He came to fulfill that scripture and that prophecy about him. And that's really important for us to know that our, our Christianity is not blind. It's not a guess. It's accurate based on the word of God and the ancient teachings of scripture. Number five kind of goes along with it. The fifth reason the light came into the world was to authenticate that God is real through powerful signs and miracles, right? If you read the Gospels, you'll see Jesus doing all kinds of miracles, feeding the 5,000, turning water into wine, right? He's raising the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's making the lame walk. And the reason he's doing that is to authenticate that God is real. He's real. His power is real. His signs and his miracles authenticated that God is real. In fact, in the scripture, he said to the Pharisees, he said this phrase, if you don't believe my words, believe my works. 
If you don't believe what I say about myself, look at what I'm able to do and question, how can I? How can I do this? There was no illusions back then, okay? There was no stage, no props, no magic treasure, uh, treasure, what do they call them? Bins. Chest. There was no treasure chest, okay? Jesus didn't have any props. He didn't have any assistance. But he's doing things right before people's eyes that, that can't be explained, and he's authenticating the fact that God is real. And this God has the very best interest of man. You're in John, I'm assuming. If you're in John in your Bibles, go to the last chapter of John. John 21. I think this is one of the coolest verses in the entire Bible. And sometimes you don't even, you kind of gloss over this verse. But look at John 21, 25. This is how John closes the gospel. He says, now there were also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. I mean, just awe at that verse. John goes, I've taught you a lot. I've told you a lot. I've gave you a lot of testimony of what I saw and what I witnessed. And it's scratching the surface. I didn't even get to a third of it, a quarter of it. In fact, if you were going to tell every single thing that Jesus did, all the books in the entire world couldn't contain them. And Jesus said, if you don't believe my words, believe my works. Believe what I'm able to do. It authenticates not only that I'm the Christ, but that God is real, and that he has the best interest of man at heart. Amazing. Number six reason Jesus came to this earth is to conquer the forces of evil and to allow his people to do the same. To conquer evil and to allow his people to do the same because evil had been bullying us. Okay, The devil owned us and he was throwing us around like a rag doll. And the Lord came to prove that there's no equal to him. There's no rival to him. There's no one strong like him. The devil is incredibly strong, but not in comparison to Jesus. And Jesus came to stand up to that evil and say, you can't beat me. You can't defeat me. I'm going to defeat you, and I'm going to allow my people to defeat you. And they're going to conquer you one day. They're weak, they're like sheep, but they're going to win over the forces of evil. And unless he did that, guys, we would all perish. Because the devil is much smarter, much craftier than all of us combined. But the Lord came to conquer evil for us, to win the battle, and he did that on the cross. And he did that by rising from the dead. And that's number six. Number seven. Seventh reason Jesus came to this earth was to experience weakness. To experience trial and temptation so that he could do something really important. He could fellowship with his people. Because he didn't know what those things were like. Jesus in heaven didn't know what weakness was like. He's all-powerful. He's almighty. He's God. He spoke the world into existence. He didn't know what weakness was like. He had never faced trial or temptation. He came to this earth so that his people would have the ultimate comfort and peace to know that their Lord is with them. So that our Lord, our Jesus, can say to us, no matter what we go through, I've been there. I've been there. I know what that is like. I faced that weakness. I faced that temptation. And I beat it. Follow me. Listen to me. Go the way I go and you too will win. You're never alone with Jesus. Never. The other day I took a picture of a, it was one of those stormy days, and I took a picture while I was stopped at a red light because there was a glorious rainbow just kind of hidden behind the dark sky. And 
you, you would have missed it. If you weren't looking for it, if you didn't really pay attention, you would have missed it. But I, I just took a picture and I just thought about that as I looked at that going, man, that's a good illustration of how Jesus is going, I'm here. I'm with you. You're not alone. Okay, no matter how dark, how gray, how stormy the skies seem, and 2020 seems that way, Jesus is saying, I'm with you. I've been there. I know what it's like, and I can help you. Seven reasons for why Jesus came to this earth. And I'm sure, again, we're just scratching the surface. But we've answered question number two is why did Jesus come into the world? Question three goes along with question two. Why would he do all of this? Why? What's the purpose? Okay, those are amazing things, but why did Jesus have to come to this earth? Why would he do such a thing? Why would he leave heaven and come to a sin-stained earth? I mean, if I was in heaven and someone said, hey, you want to go down there on earth where it's a lot worse and, a, and people want to kill you, I'd be like, no, thanks. I don't think so. <laughs> thanks anyways. Why would he come? Why did Jesus come? Very simply because he loves his father and he loves us. Jesus is guided by love like we all should be. Did you know that? Love guides our Lord. And true love has no limits and withholds nothing from those whom they love. So even Jesus is subject to the two greatest commandments of all time, which is love the Lord your God, and his God is his Father. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then number two, love your neighbor as you would love yourself. Aren't you thankful that the Lord is guided and motivated by love and not judgment? I'm pretty thankful for that. I'm pretty thankful God, God the Lord is guided by love and not judgment. And he still is even today. Now judgment will happen and condemnation will happen, but it's, it's like the last resort. He is going to do everything possible and necessary to get us to repent, to come back to truth, to live in his presence so that one day he can take us to the promised land in eternity to be with him forever. He is guided by love even today. See, John, the passage we read at the beginning, even though Jesus did all of this for us, he gave us a present of such value it can't properly be appraised. But John tells us that his own people did not know him. His own people did not receive him. And this is perhaps one of the saddest phrases that's ever been spoken. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. They had the Old Testament prophecies about the Christ and the Messiah. Okay, It wouldn't have been veiled. They had exactly what it would say about the Christ and the Messiah. <clears throat> and the Messiah came and he lived exactly according to those prophecies and they didn't recognize him. I mean, this would be similar to my own children not recognizing me and then trying to kill me. Jesus' own people. Not only his own creation, but his own Jewish people not only did not recognize him, they rejected him and they crucified him. I want you to imagine someone who shows you more love than all your other loved ones combined, and you not only neglect them and reject them, but you shout for them to be crucified. Because that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. He was about to love them to depths they could not even understand, and they wanted him dead. And that's sad. That's incredibly sad. Because every Christian right now has the life and the light of Jesus coursing through our veins right now. We're breathing in his oxygen with lungs that he created. We're living a life that he twice owns. Did you know that? Jesus twice owns us. He created us. We just learned that. And when we went astray and we turned our backs on God and we chased after sin, he redeemed us. He twice owns us. Let that rattle around in your brain for a moment. 
You exist for Jesus. You belong to Jesus. He purchased you back from sin. He owns us. But his Jewish people, his own Jewish people, did not recognize him. And many professing Christians today honestly still live in practical neglect of their creator, Lord, and Savior. You've heard the old adage, don't bite the hand that feeds. He's our creator. He's our Lord. He's our sustainer. He's our God. And many of us neglect him and reject him daily, weekly. We don't think about him. We have things in our mind that don't pertain to the kingdom of God. They don't pertain to Jesus Christ. They're just memories. They're just fun. And the Lord is sustaining us. He created us. He sustains us. He redeems us. He wants us. He pours his heart and his life into us. And it's so sad to think that many of us still today would rather choose the world than Jesus, our creator, our redeemer, our savior, and our God. So that's why he came. That's why Jesus came. That answers question number three. Hard question number four is, how valuable is Jesus to us? Just how valuable is this Jesus to us? If we don't love him, is it that big a deal? If we don't love him the way that he loves us, is it really that big a deal? I want you to take your, um, your Bibles and turn to Isaiah 53. We're going to do something briefly, but I think it's going to be powerful. And I'm going to do this in sort of a, if you guys have seen my virtual Bible studies, I'm going to do this in sort of a way like that. I'm going to walk us through very quickly Isaiah 53. And we're going to answer the question, how valuable is Jesus to us, okay? So take your own notes or just follow me on the screen as we look at one of the most classic passages that talk about our Lord. The prophet says this, Who has believed what he has heard from us? Or in my own paraphrase, Who is listening? Sometimes pastors and teachers ask that question. Is anyone listening? Is anyone paying attention? The prophet wants to know who has believed what he has heard from us or this question and to whom whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Is anyone with me? Is anyone with me? Is anyone paying attention? Has anyone understood the great grace of God through Jesus Christ? The prophet is asking that question. Speaking of Jesus now, it says, For he, the Christ, the Messiah, grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. Now, I don't know how you would, um, what metaphor you would use for the Christ, for the Messiah, but it should be a lot more glorious than a young plant and a root out of dry ground, right? Now, Jesus came from the line of David. And whatever you would expect about the Christ and the Messiah, and I think this is why a lot of people missed him, you would expect him to look quite royal, right? Quite kingly. Rich, not born in a stable, in a manger. You know, a a son of a carpenter? Really? And it says he grew up before him like a young plant, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. There was nothing Hollywood about him, nothing beautiful on the surface. You would have missed him. He would have looked plain. It doesn't mean he was ugly. He just would have looked normal and average and plain. He had no beauty that we should desire him. And that's what we like about people, right? We like that they're rich and they're pretty and we can see that there's someone important just by looking at them with our eyes going, well, that guy's got to be somebody because look how rich he is. Not Jesus. He was born in a stable in a manger. He was a son of a carpenter and he was plain looking. He had no former majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. In fact, the prophet's going to take it even further and he says this, 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Despised, rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we'll keep going here. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Do you consider that about your Lord? He was despised on earth. He was rejected on earth. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. I read a commentary, and the commentator said a lot of historians, Jesus only lived into his 30s, but he looked like he was 50 because there was so much sorrow and grief in his life. So much hardship that it aged him. You wouldn't have known he was in his 30s when he died because he was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. That's not really the Hollywood picture you get of Jesus Christ. And it says men hid their faces from him. In other words, I don't want to be associated with him. He's no one special. He's a nobody. He's a loser. No thanks. He was despised and we esteemed him not. He's nobody. But look at what it says. Surely he has borne our griefs. He has carried our sorrows. Where did that grief come from? Where did that sorrow come from? They weren't his own. He was shouldering my burdens and your burdens on his own back. That's why he was full of grief. That's why he was acquainted with sorrows. But we esteemed him stricken. Smitten by God and afflicted. I'm going to notice these three words here. Stricken, smitten, and afflicted. Stricken is like if you would look at somebody with a condition. You would look at someone who had maybe COVID this year or someone who had maybe even leprosy back in the day. You would look at him and go, well, that guy's got something bad. I mean, just by looking at him, you'd go, man, he's stricken with something. He has something, some issue, some disease. And it's written all over him. He's smitten by God. Perhaps he's even cursed by God. Maybe he's such in a bad case that God himself has put a curse on that man because look at him. He was afflicted. He suffered a lot. I mean, to be around Jesus was to see great, intense suffering. But look at what the prophet says in verse 5. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement. That word means punishment. That brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. Do you notice that? Why did Jesus look that way? Why was Jesus so full of sorrow and grief? My sinful choices. My sins. Your sins. The sins that we choose every single day, even though they hadn't happened yet. Jesus carried them around on his back every day of his life. And then he went to the cross And he was pierced and he was crushed for my sins, for my choices. And the punishment that he took brought me peace. So Jesus gets punishment. We get peace. You notice that? It's powerful, isn't it? Is he valuable? Is he valuable to us? Is it that big of a deal if we don't love him? When he was pierced for my transgressions and crushed for my iniquities and carried around my sorrow and my grief all his life? And the writer says this, All we like sheep have gone astray. We're the ones that turned away from God. 
We turned every one of us to his own way, not God's way, our way, whatever we thought was best. And because of that, the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. Make it very clear in your own minds, Jesus was not crushed and pierced because of anything he had done. He was crushed and he was pierced because of things that you and I had done. We've got to move fast. It says in verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before his shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He let it happen, because that's why he came. He wasn't here to fight it. He wasn't here to resist it. He was afflicted and oppressed, because that was the will of God. And he went willingly, and he kept his mouth closed through the process. Verse 8, it says, by oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, I mean, the generation that was there with Jesus, they considered that he was cut out of the land of the living. Again, maybe he was cursed and afflicted by God, but the writer's telling us he was stricken for the transgressions of his people. Really? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Why? He had done no violence. And there was no deceit in his mouth. Why would anyone be treated such a way who was only holy and loving and good? Because of our transgression. Once again. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring, us. He shall prolong his days, our days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. My hand. Why? Because of what Jesus did for me. My days will be extended. My hand will prosper because of what Jesus did for me. And that's the same thing for you today. Verse 11, as we finish here, out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be full of regret. He shall look at what he did and go, oh, why did I do that? I didn't need to do that. That was worthless. No. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. He would do it again. Given the same choice, he would do it again. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. I'm hoping many of those in this room, many have been... Accounted and made righteous because of the sacrifice of Jesus. And he, Christ, shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many. And he shall divide the spoil with the strong because he poured out his soul to death. His inheritance is going to be amazing. <clears throat> and he was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and he makes intercession for the transgressors. Do you understand the value of Jesus today? There's a lot more time we should take on a passage that's so valuable. But we need to understand how valuable is this Jesus to us. And that's the fourth question. Then we end with this question today. What is required of us based on what we've learned? We've gone fast. It's been a lot. But if you understand it, if you appreciate it, if you say in your soul, wow, I'm so thankful for that. What's required of us? And I'm going to rattle through these things pretty quickly. But number one, consider where you would be without his wounds. 
Consider where you would be without his wounds and punishment for your sins. And you stood before a holy God someday at judgment day, drenched in your sin. No payment for willful, sinful choices. And now you're standing before the holy God and it's judgment day. And it's ready to either condemn you or to send you to eternal life. Where would you be without Jesus? No, we're good. So number one is receive him. Receive him. Number two, consider how much love the Lord must have for you if he willingly went to the cross to save you and make you a child of God. How much love did Jesus have for us if he did that willingly to save you and to save me? How much love does he have for us? It's, it's limitless. It's endless. I can't measure the love of Christ. And if that's the case, number two, love him. Love him. It should be obvious. Why do we have to be kick-started every day to love the Lord? Every Sunday, a preacher has to get up and say, remember Jesus, remember to love him. Why? When he's done so much, he's doing so much for me even today. Number three, consider how much Jesus is worth to God if one death and one payment for sins is sufficient to pay for the sins of the entire world for all time. One death, one payment, one spilling of the blood is sufficient to pay for every sin for the rest of eternity. And if that is true, praise him. Number four, consider what Jesus is worthy of your life if you should be destined to hell, but instead you're destined and awaiting for eternal life and glory with your God forever. Consider what Jesus is worthy of. What is he worthy of? If that was the question, what would you give to someone like that? What do you want him to have from your life? Honestly, what would you give him if you could give that Jesus anything? And you would quickly come to this conclusion. He deserves everything. Everything. There's nothing, no one thing I could give him. I have to give him everything. He's worthy of nothing but everything. And number five. Consider the regret you would experience of not giving your life away to the Lord as a gift for all he's done for you. Imagine the regret of knowing and seeing his nail-pierced hands and feet and the spear wound in his side and considering that you did not love the Lord with your life. In other words, hold nothing back from him. Nothing. You've heard the song, and we mentioned it last week, but I I love what the old songwriter says. He says, all to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. I will ever love and trust him. In his presence daily live. I surrender all. I hope that's the theme and the beat of your heart today. Even if it hasn't been you up to this point. Today, surrender your everything to the Lord who loved you so magnificently. Have you been to with us to discover the master have you discovered the master and are you ready to be instructed about how to follow him properly because that's where we're going to go from here next week pastor mel is going to instruct us about how to follow that master if we're ready to do so and i hope and i pray that you are after taking a peek and discovering our master would you pray with me father we are so so unworthy and grateful we thank you we thank you for sending your son and jesus we thank you for coming In spite of all that you could have received, you received such pain and hardship because of our sins. And we're thankful, and we have salvation and life today, and we just want to give you thanks. We just want to ask that you'd help help us stay focused on that, because that is the solution to living for you or not living for you. Keep us focused today as we talk, as we have lunch, 
We thank you for the food we're about to eat and enjoy. We thank you for the fellowship we can have. Thank you for this church and what it means to everyone here. Bless this church for your own sake. Build it in a mighty way and do it for the sake and the glory of your great name and the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in whose precious name we pray. Amen.